0: The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning.
1: Welcome back to Utah Symphony, Utah Opera's Ghost Light podcast, a behind the curtain look at the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm Carol Anderson.
0: And I'm Jeff Counts. Our guest today is Associate Concertmaster Master of the Utah Symphony, Catherine Eberly. Catherine's a native of Nashville, Tennessee. She's been in Salt Lake City for nine seasons now. Carol and I were in agreement that it's high time we had her on the podcast and we're looking forward to hearing about new developments in her career. It's great to have you with us, Catherine.
2: Thanks so much for having me. Catherine, you have
1: been such an amazing part of the Salt Lake City music community, but you're also adding another job to your resume. Last summer, you won the concert master position at the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra. Tell us about that. You've already got a connection to Los Angeles, so how did this job, how did that become even more special?
2: Well, I have a long history with LA, and it actually all started when I went to the summer music camp in Hudson, Ohio, called the Encore School for Strings. And at this camp, I met the violin teacher, Robert Lipset. And at the end of my first summer studying with him, he asked my mother if we could move to Los Angeles. And her reply was that, no, we have a life in Nashville. And this actually began a crazy last couple of years of high school for me, um, commuting back and forth between Nashville and LA for violin lessons. <laughs> and so after that, it was just sort of a natural progression to attend uh, the University of Southern California studying with Mr. Lipset. And then I also spent three years at the Colburn School continuing my studies with him there as well. So when it was all said and done, I had basically spent about nine years in LA. And so when this job came uh, came up and I saw the ad in the international musician paper, I thought, well, what a great opportunity that would be to get to spend a little bit of time in a city that I really love and has so many wonderful memories and um, lots of dear friends still living in the Southern California area. And so I thought, why not go for it and see what happens? And that's what I did.
1: During your time in LA as a student, I suspect you did what I did, and you went to the Hollywood Bowl as an audience member.
2: I did a few times, yeah. I actually remember seeing the violinist Jimmy Lynn playing the Tchaikovsky Concerto there and feeling very inspired by that. You know, I never probably imagined that I would be up on stage um, in a very different capacity, but here we are.
0: (laughs) Well, the Hollywood Bowl is a really big deal, Catherine. First of all, congratulations for winning that job. Thank you. Talk a little bit about the Hollywood Bowl itself though, because for those who don't know, it's a unique orchestra. People may not know how it relates to the Los Angeles Philharmonic, when they perform, what the repertoire profile is. Talk a little bit about that, particularly whether or not the audition process was different than what you've experienced before.
2: So the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra as it stands today was created in 1991 and it was a completely new ensemble. Um, so, in re- really, it's, it's celebrating its 30th season right now. Sadly, we weren't able to play. Um, but the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra uh, is, is very unique from the Los Angeles Philharmonic, which also performs at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, the L.A. Phil does almost exclusively classical performances there. Occasionally, they might play a John Williams concert um, or a movie, Um, but mainly they they do a lot of classical repertoire, whereas the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra um, does everything from film to Broadway to Pops to jazz, perhaps a little bit of classical. Um, So it's a little bit more of kind of a a diverse uh, program offering from from the Bowl Orchestra. The audition process was actually very traditional. It had all of the traditional concertmaster solos all of the traditional section 2D excerpts. Of course, I had to have a Mozart concerto and a romantic concerto and a movement of Bach. Um, really the only thing on the audition list that was at all um, in more in line with what we might play at the ball was the Hedwig's theme from Harry Potter, which is, <laughs> quite challenging. <laughs> and for a while, I was actually using it as a warm-up exercise because it, it really tests your ability to kind of quickly go up and down the fingerboard of the violin. But that was really the only thing on the audition that was different than any other audition process. One other thing about the audition that was very kind of special for me is that the audition was held at Zipper Hall at the Colburn School. And so, you know, while I wasn't able to go into the hall in advance and play a few notes. It sort of felt like an old friend because I had spent just countless hours there either in chamber rehearsals or orchestra rehearsals or even lessons with Mr. Lipset. He would always go in there and take advantage of that space whenever he could and so that felt really comforting in a way to be in there for the audition. The audition was three rounds in one day and I have to say I was just flat out fried and exhausted by the end of the day. But they, they wound up picking three of us to play uh, a couple weeks with the orchestra last summer. Um, and after those weeks, I found out uh, the end of September that they had chosen me for the position.
1: I know our audience is gonna to wanna to hear a little more about your trial weeks with the Bowl Orchestra. So tell us about that. You've had some fun stories.
2: That I did, Carol. <laughs> so my first week playing with the orchestra, it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night weekend. And so Friday and Saturday, night, Saturday night was Cindy Lopper. And that was just quite the experience. She was just a true performing artist. <laughs> and she had on this sparkly gold LeMay suit at the concert and these sparkly boots that matched it. And of course the boots came off right in the middle of she bops as one would. <laughs> <laughs> and so then Cindy proceeded to step on a bee. And the rest of the concert, people were bringing out antiseptic wipes and the stage hands were coming out trying to make her feel more comfortable. And uh, I think it quickly went viral on the internet. And it was an experience that I will never forget. (laughs) And of course then Kristen Chenoweth was just lovely as always. I think she's one of my favorite pop artists to work with. She walked out on stage at the rehearsal and just said, hello, maestro, hello, orchestra. It is so nice to see you in her delightful voice with a little bit of a hint of a Southern accent. So that was really fun and special to get to work with her there, as, as we have already had her in Deer Valley uh, multiple times. And I think she's coming back to Deer Valley next summer. So that will be fun to look forward to. Um, and then the next weekend was Hugh Jackman. And I don't know that I had ever experienced a, a concert quite like this concert. Um, I think the show traveled with about 12 or 14 semi trucks. And literally every inch of the bowl was taken over with all of the paraphernalia that makes this show his show. I think the bowl bowl was also the only non arena that they had presented his show. uh, His show at, but um, it was really quite the experience. And I have to say, I, of course, had never met Hugh Jackman, but he couldn't have been nicer. He came up to every orchestra member and gave us all a lottery card and introduced himself and said, hi, I'm Hugh. And I thought, yeah, I, I know who you are. <laughs> but it was really, really a fun concert. And we really caught a glimpse of who he is and the way he talked about his wife during the show and just the the many talents that he has, not only singing, but dancing. And it was really... Um, Quite the production, and I was really, fun. it was really fun to be a part of it.
1: I love hearing these stories about people that we admire from afar and realizing that they are regular people and, and good people to work with as well. And Kristen coming back to Deer Valley, and um, this brings us to the next question. I mean, the Utah Symphony obviously has their summer home at the Deer Valley Music Festival. We all want to know: are you going to be able to juggle these two jobs?
2: That was my plan for this past summer, was yes, in fact, to juggle both both jobs, both positions. Um, the bowl orchestra has concerts kind of scattered throughout the summer. So my plan was to just fly back and forth and play. Um, the concerts here that didn't conflict with the bowl and then be there for those concerts. Um, so hopefully that will happen next summer.
0: I know everyone is thrilled, Catherine, that you know getting this job in LA didn't mean you had to leave the Utah Symphony. I'm sure people saw that and got very, very scared, Carol and I included. So thank you for doing that juggling work. Speaking of this summer and what it should have been, it's impossible not to talk a little bit about the reality we're living in and you know you won this job next I'm sorry last summer and you were looking forward to a first season there but like every other performing arts professional your life has been completely put on hold so what's it been like for you knowing you have this big adventure ahead of you and then having to postpone it for who knows how long have you been doing anything with them behind the scenes?
2: No, I haven't. And you know, it's the emotions have kind of run the gamut. I was so looking forward to starting my first season there. And obviously, that couldn't happen with a venue that seats 18,000 people, uh, not 100,000. Hard to Uh, do
0: that safely. Yeah,
2: yeah, it would just be very, very challenging to say the least. Um, So I'm very much looking forward to next summer. And hopefully, that will be a reality. But in the meantime, I was able to sort of switch gears a little bit. And um, the musicians of the Utah Symphony have started a Instagram live series called Modus Meets. And it has been really rewarding actually to get to interview all sorts of people from our fantastic Salt Lake Arts community and just chat with them about um, what inspires them to do what they do, how they've been making out during these past few months, what are some of their other favorite things to do in the arts community here. And I have just really, really valued getting to know a lot of these fantastic people a little bit better.
0: Well, first of all, how dare you have an interview series when Carol and I clearly have the market cornered on that. I, I wanna hear more about it though, actually, I'm joking. Talk about some of the people you've met and what kinds of things you ask them and I mean how how it's made this summer you know kind of livable for you to be able to connect with people that way. I know it means a lot to Carol and I to be able to do that.
2: It really does. So my first interview was actually with a professional interviewer and that was Mary Dixon from PBS's Contact And she was just so fun to chat with and has such a fascinating life story. Um, Not only does she still work at PBS, but she is also a pretty darn successful playwright talking about her personal life experiences. And... So that was really, really fascinating. Um, another interview that was really inspiring was interviewing Alison DeBona, who is a first soloist with Ballet West. She has really taken this time and made the most of it. She's doing so many virtual things with uh, teaching and dancing and um, and it was just really wonderful to connect to another performing artist in the Salt Lake community in that way. And we, we both joked that it had to take a global pandemic to make this happen, but we reminisced a little bit about um, when Ballet West collaborated with the Utah Symphony with WC's Je, and she was one of the three dancers that, that was in that production. And so that was just a really fun one. Um, another really, really inspiring one was with Chef Viet Pham. Who is um, a former the former chef of Forage Restaurant and now the chef of Pretty Bird Chicken, and his story was just so interesting and so fascinating because um, one of the things that I, I won't forget is that you would think with someone like him who's been on all these these uh, national TV shows and won all of these accolades as a chef, you know, it would just kind of been smooth sailing. But he basically told me that in his first few days or weeks here in Salt Lake City, he was working at a restaurant down in Provo and, um, it didn't work for him and got fired. And that was what prompted him to start Forage Restaurant and then Pretty Bird Chicken. And, um, you know, you always, you always wonder like what was the backstory behind these things? And, um, he just has such a passion for cooking and a passion for uh, service and serving people. And that was really, really interesting. Um, And then interviewing Gretchen Dietrich, who is the executive director of the Utah Museum of Fine Arts, was really inspiring. Talking about some of the things that the museum has done uh, to stay connected with people um, while the pandemic has been happening and talking about how we can sort of move forward in a way that's um, as inclusive and as um, encouraging of all all people as possible um, with all of our arts organizations right now so that was that was a really neat one and then this last week I got to chat with my with my friend will Hagan who is a concert violinist um, who is still based here in Salt Lake and we have um, this connection of both having studied a long time with with Bob Lipset. And so that was a fun one because it was just kind of like two old friends chatting away for an hour um, talking about all sorts of things related to violin and music. So it's really been um, quite a rewarding um, and, and inspiring experience to, to get to know a lot of these people in our arts community better and and realize that while the Utah Symphony and Utah Opera are, really a fantastic organization. We have so many other just incredible arts organizations in this community, and um, it's make, made me feel even luckier to, to be a part of it.
1: I can speak, I think, for Jeff, when I say that the interviewing situation is almost self-indulgent. It's so wonderful because I come out of these interviews inspired in a way that I never expected to be, just from listening to these people tell their stories and share their feelings.
0: You do speak for me. I totally agree with you, Carol. And um, I have I've one thing to say to you, which is goodbye. We're clearly done. We're never going to do this show again because Catherine has taken over the interview market of the entire state of Utah quite clearly. No, that sounds like a very impressive guest list. And <laughs> a couple of people we've actually had on Ghostlight before. We've had Will Hagen on before, and he was amazing. Um, I know for me, Catherine, that when I talk to these creators, these other creators, there's, there's a lot I take away from that as a creative person myself and how has all of the this talking what has it done to your to your violin playing to your creativity as an as a performing musician i mean is there any direct one to one benefits to just having these open conversations with people
2: i think that there have been some tangible takeaways but also just some a little bit more intangible and just general inspirational takeaways from them. I think in terms of collaboration, you know, I would, I would love to see more collaboration between the Utah symphony, Utah opera and all of these people that, that I had the fortunate experience of, of talking with, but then it also though has just really made me want to be the best I can be and continue to strive to be not only the best violinist but the best arts advocate and representative for USUO and also just for our general Salt Lake Arts community.
1: It's about time we had you on the show, and uh, you've been an amazing friend and colleague for years, and I'm so thrilled that our audience gets to hear a little bit about what you bring to our community. Being the Ghost Light Podcast, we always have to ask this question, have you ever seen a ghost, and can you give us details? I wondered if you had something to share.
2: Well, I can't say that I've ever seen a ghost, but that being said, um, especially during these past few months. I have really been touched by um, a lot of different people that have shown kindness towards me in ways that I totally didn't expect um, or something that I knew was happening that all of a sudden just um, really made me feel like we're all in this together and we're not alone. A couple examples of that, um, when we were all really locked down my, my dear friends, um, the Cole family, would stop by my house every week and just bring me dinner. And I just thought that was the most touching gesture to do. And then, um, actually right now, this week, I am taking part in my second virtual uh, yoga retreat, which is the intermission yoga retreat. Normally, I go to Vermont every summer and take part in this retreat. But of course, uh, this year, they're all virtual. But just seeing everybody's faces on my computer screen every morning and every afternoon for our our yoga classes every day um, really again uh, solidifies <laughs> my uh, my faith in, in in my friends and in um, the fact that we will get through this and um, we will come out stronger than ever and so That's, that's been my experience with maybe not unexplainable, but, but certainly lovely experiences that have made me realize um, all the wonderful people in this world.
0: It's a very nice thought and a nice image, Catherine. And I, you know, I guess to see ghosts these days, you have to actually be able to go places and uh, none of us can do that. We kind of are all ghosts ourselves right now, at least to each other. So these experiences where you're able to interact with people and actually see them on your front lawn as they hand you a plate of food, are, it's, it is pretty wonderful and nice to think about. Well, Catherine, I echo Carol's sentiment that it's great to finally have you on the show. It was far too long, and I'm sorry we made you go win a huge job before we invited you, but we are both, and I know I speak for the entire community, extremely proud of you. It's an amazing accomplishment, and we're doubly thrilled that you're not going anywhere, that you're still going to be a big part of the Utah Symphony. So, Catherine Everly, thank you so much for being on the Ghostlight Podcast today.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Thank you so much for joining us on today's Ghost Light podcast. Be sure to follow us and subscribe to us. And of course, always like us as that helps us gain new followers and welcome them to the Ghost Light family. I'm Carol Anderson.
0: And I'm Jeff Counts. Thanks for listening. The Ghost Light podcast is produced and edited by Robert Bedont.
1: Be sure to visit utahsymphony.org and utahopera.org for more information on upcoming performances. If you're not already a seasoned subscriber, click on the Tickets button to learn more about the benefits of being a part of our family of music lovers.
0: The Utah Symphony and Utah Opera Season Sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.